Right then, back with episode 12 now of the Midnight Pod. And before we waste all the quality content, we've got probably, I'm not going to say the most interesting because that's offensive to the previous guests, but certainly the first guest that I don't really know myself or isn't from like my friendship group or like my close circle connections, which is probably something I'm going to have, have challenges with, with the pod is getting on like other guests that once I rinse all my friends, basically, who the fuck do I get on? So Asher Grant, um, owner of Rain London and a bunch of other things. And I guess as well, the first entrepreneurial guest that isn't in like the e-com specifically or like digital marketing space and just something that, I'm interested in like like we're saying off camera um obviously been to our clubs myself many times um great spots I'm just interested to hear about your story really um so I suppose like with all the pods the first question is just a tell us what you do and b kind of where you got there in a nutshell and then we'll dive into a bunch of different things yeah sure uh thanks thanks for the intro it it did officially sound like you have 11 other friends there so <laughs> yeah <laughs> true 12 which is great i probably don't have 11 that's probably doing myself um no so yeah so well. as as you said i own um i own uh, a couple of nightclubs and uh like some some food businesses as well and uh to sort of have uh, sort of projects coming up over the next two or three years, that means that um, pretty pretty quickly we'll we'll have quite a strong holding in the high end luxury uh, F and B space within London and sort of hospitality. Um, and yeah, it, the, I suppose the way I got there is the thing to focus on is that actually I started kind of right from the bottom up. I used to work in nightclubs for for many many years as a kid. Um, and I sort of had this light bulb moment because I realized how much uh, money was being spent in these venues and I, I just saw this opportunity and uh, this was you know 15 years ago I think I was 18 so yeah I kind of I was uh, I had just left uni and I was or I was maybe in uni or something like that and my part-time job was was spraying perfume in Harrods yeah I was reading yeah. about that so um and I, I just remember a friend of mine who worked uh, at one of these nightclubs, Whiskey Mist. It was, it, it's still around, but it's slightly, it's reincarnated now. But um, it was, uh, she, she asked, "Oh, why don't you come and be, be a promoter?" And a promoter, for anyone who who isn't aware, is is someone who works with the nightclub and gets paid per head to bring uh, guests to the nightclub. So, sort of populating and making the nightclub busy. And uh, I thought, yeah, sure, I know, I know some people. So I invited, uh, you know, all my friends from who also worked in Harrods spraying perfume, and uh, yeah, just kind of got got on the phone to everyone I knew. And um, I, I always remember I made more money in the first night uh, doing that than I had a, a previous month worth of of shift working, uh, paying uh, spraying perfume. And I kind of, like I said, this this light bulb moment happened. I just thought, oh my gosh, what what an opportunity like I can't believe and it's it's so funny because now the, the way that people get paid in nightclubs is so much better than I was then the, the mm. deals and the the kind of like norm the industry standards have gone up so much <laughs> that I laugh at the kind of way I was paid back then but for me still at the time it was it was a lot of money and so I started uh, started promoting in nightclubs and then I, I pretty quickly worked out that in these like high-end nightclubs uh, as well as all the celebrities that will come in, you, you're kind of dealing with ultra high net worth individuals. And I kind of worked out that actually, you know, I was getting along with these guys really well. And, and definitely one of the strengths I had was, um, you know, being able to spark up a relationship with someone relatively quickly on a night out. And, and I sort of moved into clients as opposed to guests and promoting. And 
I would do everything and anything I could to kind of like work out how to meet more ultra high net worth people and that would be obviously like if you met one ultra high net worth person you know they'd introduce you to a friend or a business partner blah 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 but I was trying to find out anyway so I was hitting every five-star hotel I was going around to every restaurant I was harassing every like concierge service or like major banking service just to have a coffee with me or just like and yeah. I was so young at the point as well you know it's like my my um kind of ignorance and my na- naivety was almost like my best like my best asset because I had no idea what a wally I was making of myself just like knocking down these doors like please 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 yeah. I want to tell you about these nightclubs and and eventually you know these the, the the doors did get knocked down and I did get people who would start to sort of refer their their guests of hotels or their members of Sort of exclusive banks or, or or high high end concierges, and they would start to to like if someone was coming into town and wanted a you know a club guy, they would sort of call me, and my network just just spread and spread and spread, and um, you know got to a point where I have you know pretty uh, silly black book in my phone of of sort of like CEOs of Fortune five hundred companies, like some of the biggest athletes in the world or, or celebrities, and all these different things, and. It, it, uh, it sort of dawned on me like, wow, it's it's really got to a, a great level now. And then I thought, wouldn't it be great to have uh, to have my own venue? Because at the time in London, I felt like the, the scene was slightly stagnant. And I felt like we, I just, I had spent a lot of time in America and in LA and Miami and things like that and mm-hmm. Vegas. And I thought we surely can do better when a guy comes and spends, I mean, ridiculous money. It's, it's of course obscene, the amount of money that people spend in these nightclubs. So... But when someone's coming to spend 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, whatever it happens to be, like, why is it in London we're so far behind everywhere else in the world in terms of like rewarding that spend? Yeah. And so I thought, you know, I can do this. You know, I think I can I can give this a go. And so I um, I reached out to loads of my clients that thought, I was like, hi guys. And again, I was a kid at the point. I was, I, and, and I don't just mean my age. I think I was... 24 or 25 but mentally I was really a kid mm. and uh, so I was sort of reaching out to everyone going oh guys I think I'm going to do a nightclub again ignorance is bliss I've absolutely no idea how hard it would be uh, and I said oh, I think I need to raise some money and actually to my uh, surprise everyone that I asked came back and said yes and so I, I got the sort of um, the, the advantage of getting to pick who I wanted to go into business with which maybe we'll touch on later but but you know for anyone who's ever looking to do any business and needs to take on investment I think that's probably one of the most important things you can do is is be smart with who you get into bed with as yeah. in, like you know uh, in, into business with and um yeah no I uh you know we we opened up the first club which was uh, rain as you said and you know I, I slowly 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 uh, just refined the product you know created the team everything it's a, to the point where it's at now where um you know biasly of course but i you know i think rain is a, a real force and, and uh, one of the definitely one of the best clubs in london but i think it holds its own you know internationally and it's created like you know there's it's uh, one of those things there's so much work that happens behind the scene mm. not just not just for me but from a whole host of of team you know that it's interesting because people come in and they get drunk and they have a party and they have like you know such a crazy time and then they they leave but actually like it's every tiny minutia detail is thought of and the guest experience so that actually we, you know when we can open four nights a, a week or sort of 200 times a year people come in and they get the same level of absolute wild craziness every time they're inside 
and uh, and that that kind of level of consistency is i think um you know what what makes it so successful and then obviously recently off of the back of that during covid uh, we had the opportunity to sort of double down and I, I say double down because obviously at the time we did the deal nightclubs were fully illegal in the uk and had been for about a year so it was a real yeah, it was a real Mad moment time. but we had the opportunity to buy uh, mahiki which uh, is on dover street opposite opposite the ritz um, and for anyone who's not sort of um yeah not not clued up on on nightclubs mahiki was like the mecca 15 years ago because all the royals would go there and they would mm. they were kind of all met there and they would all party there and then it's kind of like an iconic location that just had, hadn't done very well for a long time and and uh, yeah you know that it was I was lucky enough that it came to me off market and we managed to tie up the deal relatively quickly but it was also the first nightclub that I ever went to I think when I was underage but I think I was about 17 so it was the first yeah. nightclub I ever went to so there was just something in it, I had it like in between the teeth um, just just uh, when it came off I was like oh, I gotta take the place that was like the first place I snuck into with a with a fake ID probably probably that's probably why they didn't do very well letting too many 17 year olds in maybe Um, can't spend as much I can't spend as much yeah pocket money doesn't stretch as far when you're 17 yeah true yeah geez well Rain was actually Rain was the last place I went to before back in March last year when everything went tits up right okay and spent way too much money I think my mates came down from York which is where I'm from yeah and yeah, I had a great night. Um, so going back then quickly, because that was actually a solid intro, probably the best intro we've had, a good nine minutes of Sorry to fluidity. the 11 previous intros that I'll have to listen to. Yeah, no. Well, so when you started then as a promoter, was that, was that London or was that yeah, no, where you're from? It was London. Where, where are you from as well? So I'm from uh, sort of cl- close to Brighton. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, I moved to London when I was 16. So uh, okay. I've, I've lived in London now longer than I had ever lived in, mm. in Brighton or... Uh, sort of around that area Sussex I suppose you'd call it um, mm. so yeah no I, I uh, it was always in London um, and that I suppose is one of the keys I think to my success was that London is one of the most exciting cities in the world yeah and there is so much um, diversity complexity but also money that comes through the city and that will just never ever ever change um, and it it gives birth to a lot of opportunities there are probably a lot of people who are much better at doing what they doing this than I am but maybe the fact that they've been constrained by certain cities there's there's only ever going to be a mm. ceiling if you open a you know if you open a, a nightclub in Bolton there will there is only enough there is only so much you can do with a nightclub in Bolton so yeah there's something about London which is international and that has, has definitely helped I've been very lucky in that yeah definitely and do you go to uni or anything? Was it literally straight into the promo scene? No, yeah, I, I did. Because I, I, yeah. I went to uni in Newcastle before I dropped out. I, I used to take the piss out of promoters, which yeah. is probably I shouldn't be telling you that. But yeah, no, it's, it's a certain like, type. is like a dirty word now, isn't it? Yeah. Because I don't know why that is. Maybe they just, I think it's a, a, like a, an unfair reputation that they have. But, you know, the, all the promoters I know, they are they're like proper business people. They see it as, you know, they're not out there to try and sleaze on the girls and get loads get really drunk and take loads of drugs i mean there will always be an exception to yeah. the rule so i'm sure but but actually you know they they now these people they're proper business people mm. they make a lot of money and they take it incredibly seriously like it's uh yeah i think it's changed from when i began it's become a a, a very like a, a very legitimate career and and i'm like i'm telling you now some of my staff especially some of the promoters they earn more than like bankers and traders and they drive Porsches and Ferraris and they are 
living their best life, but they work for every bit of it. They, they, mm. they've just worked out. They're, they're trading, but they're just trading something different, right? Which is, is an experience. But yeah, yeah they, they do really well for themselves. But yeah, the, uh, it was definitely not like that in my day. When I, when I started, I think I was paid five pounds per person that I bought, per, maybe per girl that I bought. So for me to make- That's my thing. Yeah, for, if, I, if I bought like 50 girls, you know, I was still not really, you know, I was like, maybe get, I could pay for a dinner. So yeah, it was yeah. nothing like it is, it is now, unfortunately. How was it back then? So, so, so it's always paid per girl. Because mm. I, I used to wonder this. I mean, obviously, like you were saying previously, London's always more money than any other city, particularly in the UK. So, you know, comparing Newcastle is not exactly the same. But because you, you mentioned, obviously, you, you made more in a week than you had, I think, in a month. Was, was it... Yeah, perfume. I, think, I think I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think I, I the first night I came, I, I bought something like 150 guests to this nightclub, mm. which if you, you know, do some quick math was probably like, I don't know, a couple, seven, seven, eight hundred quid that yeah, I made yeah. that night. But spraying perfume wasn't a, a very well paid, paid sort of part time job. And I remember thinking like, yo, fellas, quick one. First bit of promo for the pod. You may or may not have heard. I released a fucking e-com course a few months ago. Basically spent like six months making it because I was in between businesses, as you probably know, if you follow my shit. I must say, 12 hours long, it's fucking quality content, especially for the price it's at now. I was gonna drop it at like 1,500 quid with some bullshit guru-y webinar and all that rubbish. But as you know, it's not my main thing. I'm working on a new brand right now, very, very fucking much in the trenches, which is why I think is actually a better course than everything else out there. Because it's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one. So yeah, long story short, I've dropped it to 299 quid which is fucking criminal to be honest because it should be way more expensive than that i think it's super super valuable if you're interested in e-com you're already in e-com and you want it to get into e-com zero to one starting a brand from scratch then definitely worth investing in link is in the bio of this video or podcast spotify apple music wherever the fuck you're listening or watching and enjoy the rest of the pod wow i've you know maybe i tell the story wrong maybe it, it might not have added up to exactly a month but i i definitely no, no, did better than yeah, i yeah. Good story. i think i was paid maybe 45 pounds a day spraying perfume so yeah, yeah it was a lot of perfume spraying that i had to yeah. do to equate the same thing and i definitely had more fun so um yeah i kind of i took to it like a, a duck to water and i just had this thing at the time i was like this is an industry which is all about person, personal ball relationships. And I, uh, to kind of go back to your question, I, I trained as an actor um, for in, in drama school for my university. Mm. And uh, I f- kind of halfway through the course fell out of love with, with uh, the, the industry. And I, I remember I was, I was doing a play and I had a great part and we were getting really great reviews and I, and I just remember being really unhappy. Like in the West End? Uh, yeah, uh, it was at uh, the Bristol Vic. Um, oh, nice. and, uh, and I just remember being really unhappy and I remember thinking like, what is it that you know, excites me? And it, I, the thing that excited me at the time was being in control of my life, being, uh, you know, getting to kind of like exercise my ambition and, and nightlife gave me so much scope to do that. But uh, specifically because uh, the reason I mentioned that I trained as an actor was, you know, you get these skills, I suppose, as an actor where you can, uh, you know, you can speak to people quite easily. You you know, you'll have a bit more confidence maybe. And so actually um, I found that insanely helpful uh, as my career went on because it meant that whichever scenario I was in, I could be in a room with like Saudi royalty or I could be in mm. the room with like the premiership's number one footballer. And I never, I could almost fake comfort to the point where they felt comfortable because they were like, whoever this guy is, he's not phased and therefore he's he's allowed in our inner circle. And so yeah. I guess 
you know, the very successful people, especially very rich or very famous people have a thing where, you know, everyone around them is trying to grab them from every angle and, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You know, sometimes when you meet someone who's just unfazed and not bothered by any of those things, that's the alluring part to them. They're like, oh yeah. great, a normal person, thank mm. goodness. And and I think that's something I was able to use uh, as, as, as I was kind of coming up through the industry is like, how can you just essentially you know, be nice to people, treat them well, kind of have some jokes and some laughs and, and, you know, build up a relationship. There's there's stuff that happens in nightlife which you just can never, you know, you can never um, recreate in real life that when you're out and you're kind of having a drink with each other and you're having a high, and you're high-fiving and everyone's, their guard is down, right? Because you're yeah. not at work. You can form a relationship which is just so much different to like if you work for a company for years and years and, your boss, you know, it's very difficult to break that, break that relationship. You get to be the fun guy, the mm. party guy, the, you know, the fixer, the maker, whatever it happens to be, you get to fill that role in nightlife, which, which breaks a lot of boundaries really quickly and levels you up very quickly because you get allowed into rooms or, or get to get a seat at dinner tables that you would never, ever, ever get a chance to do in, in the rest of your life. And it's interesting because uh, before we started recording, you talked about, you know, what a great opportunity this is to network. I mean, I tell my staff all the time, I'm like, yeah, you know, great, you all earn good money, but guys, you're dealing with people who you would never in a million years get to meet in the real world. And mm. you're getting to like yeah. meet them, take their number, go for dinners with them, become their buddies. I mean, I've stayed at half of my clients' holiday homes. I've flown in their, in their jets. You know, I've, there's been an insane amount of privilege that's happened from having a relationship with these people, which I have no earthly business, like no real yeah. right in actually knowing these people. And it's like, obviously, you know, you, you, I can't tell, say, say everything because, you know, uh, you, you have to have anonymity, anonymity, anonymity. Yeah, it's that's a weird one. word. You know, yeah. the one, yeah. you've got to give them some privacy. privacy. Yeah. You've got to give them some privacy. But like, you know, one of my clients is, uh, he's the CEO of one of the biggest banks in the world. And the guy's a crazy party guy. Like he lives the most crazy lifestyle. Yeah. And again, there's a, I should never know this guy, but the fact that I get to and the fact that I do means that he's always like, oh, you know, want to use my cabin in the woods, go for it. You know, like when we're in America, like, oh, let me send the jet, I'll pick you up. So, and he's the most lovely, amazing guy. Mm. But there's, there's no way I would have ever met him if I didn't, you know, essentially have a shot with him one night and yeah and, and things like that so it is it's a very special industry because you know people have their guard down people are, are, are wanting to let off steam people want to have a have a have a good time and you get to facilitate all of those things which naturally means you get to be quite high up in their uh you know their their um you know you know their speed dial i suppose and so going all the way back to the the promoter thing these promoters earn more money and have more crazy contacts than like 90% of the people. It's absolutely crazy. You've, you've changed my yeah. perspective in five yeah. minutes, to be yeah. fair. Honestly, that it's, uh, it's, I'm not speaking for everyone, so I can't, it's not verbatim, but these guys are, are really smart. You know, they, they, they roll with some of like the biggest influencers in the world, some of the biggest celebrities. They know some of the most ridiculous people and even me I'm 33 and even I feel like I'm losing touch you know with like all the all the cool kids I've, I've definitely never been cool but these mm. cool kids you know they they know everyone and I'm just I don't know how they do it yeah. and the funny thing is all these like all these uh, all these like party like these 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 like famous people and things, they want to party with these promoters because it's cool to to know them 
you know, there's a guy in um, there's a guy who's really killed it in Miami called Purple. He's like the biggest promoter in Miami. Purple, it's a good name. Yeah, it's a great name. And it's like he literally has celebrities queuing up to party with him. He's almost like more famous in Miami than yeah. they are. It's absolutely crazy, you know. And and that that would just never happen in in any other industry. And that's the kind of magic of the whole thing. This weird stardust that happens when you get to. <laughs> when you get to get someone really drunk I suppose yeah it's very true jeez that is interesting it, that that in a way feels like the exact opposite almost to kind of elements of, of what I do in, in the e-commerce space and it's well certainly when you're getting started like doing online stuff and I've been saying this on previous episodes whatever, and, and to my mates that do similar shit it's like you can make good money when it goes well but it's all when you're getting started like in the trenches etc like it's great being online blah 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 you got freedom whatever but you don't fucking meet anyone yeah and yeah. I, I've kind of had this awakening like I was saying to you before we start recording starting this new thing currently speaking to investors to raise a C round of funding which is partly about the funding but it's actually more about fuck I don't want to do it by myself anymore yeah that's also that's, that's a definitely a and it's just so, lo- so yeah. lonely yeah. and it's like yeah. especially when shit goes wrong yeah um, well they say it's lonely at the top for a reason right like it because it really yeah. genuinely is yeah so yeah it's interesting that I wouldn't have thought about nightlife like that but now you've said it it's like oh shit yeah yeah, it's a massive to, network you get to create a community especially when you have big people flying in right like so some of my biggest clients come in three times a year mm. and so you're only going to see them for that very small window so it becomes a big deal for them they're like I'm coming to London man I'm coming to see you we're going to we're going to rage for like four days and you're just like thinking, fucking hell, it's just a Tuesday. Like, give me a break. But, yeah. You know, for them, it's a, a big occasion. They're going to see one of their friends in another city and, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it is, uh, to your point though, it is, it is interesting because during COVID, I found that, um, apart from fully losing my mind, um, I found that um, yeah. I was getting just crazy with the, all the Zooms. And I was like, gosh, I can't do any more Zooms. And mm. it's because... I believe so strongly in the human connection and that we are social beings and that, you know, in the, whatever happens, pandemic or not, we, we want to connect. And it's so much easier to connect face to face and to yeah. have a conversation because on a Zoom, you know, you, you hit, you sit there with an agenda and it's very hard to kind of meander off or, or do anything different. But when you're in person, you know, you can say, oh, cool, what, what's that sign? You go, oh, I had this, yeah, you know, yeah. this neon sign company. Oh, what's that artist? Like, oh my God, yeah, I love him too. Or like, wow, I love what you've done with your rug. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm actually starting Dog a rug business. On it, Do you know what I bet? Yeah. You know, it kind of leads to so much more <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you're in person than, than just sitting behind a camera um, and and uh, going through a list of, of, of things that you want to bring up. Yeah, to be fair, that's why, I mean, again, only five weeks in, episode 12, but that's why I insist on wanting to do this, this podcast in person. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that'll ever change, but um, rather than on Zoom or whatever, because... Yeah, I mean, this podcast is mainly an excuse for me to meet people that I think are interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you get, just, yeah, by default, like you were saying, better connections in person, and especially if you fucking drink loads with them. Yeah, it always a, helps. I like the, yeah, the red wine's absolutely good. Well, I, I'm also, always red wine on these podcasts. Yeah, man, red wine tends me to sleep, so I'd be like yeah, 10 true. minutes in. But also the sound quality for your listeners. Can you hear how crisp that is? That, you don't get that on Zoom. Yeah, true. You do not get that on Zoom. So everyone who's listening... That's right. This is in person and real. Yeah, exactly. No zoom here. Like cinema <laughs> you experience. Hear, you can hear the difference. Exactly that. So how long then, and there's loads of interesting things you've mentioned that I want to come on to, but how long were you a promoter, I suppose, before you 
A, made the decision that there's an opportunity to do your own thing and then ultimately went and did that, I suppose. So I think I was a promoter from the age of uh, 18 to about 22, so about four years. Yeah. And then I, at about 22, I started focusing much more on just uh, sort of the clients as opposed to the, the individual guests. And uh, that was, I think, probably another three or four years. And it was about when I was 25, I started thinking, wow, I think I could, I could do my own place. Um, and so relatively quickly, I managed to raise the money. Um, and so I remember specifically, I was 26 when I was going around trying to buy a nightclub, which sounds like the most ridiculous sentence, but it is funny how nobody <laughs> would take sentence. me seriously. So like, I'd be like, you know, as a little kid, I was like, oh, I'd like to buy your nightclub. Is it for sale? And everyone was yeah. like, fuck off. <laughs> like, uh, and I was, yeah. So uh, eventually, obviously we, we tried to buy sort of, I think three or four, which for, for one reason or another didn't go through someone would offer more money or they you know take it off the market and then the uh, specifically the one that we bought uh, I was trying to I, I remember the time I was trying to to, go, to buy from the guy for like two years and I loved it because it had really high ceilings mm-hmm. um, and he, he wouldn't sell and then they had uh, I was in Cape Town for New Year's Eve and I had they had a stabbing um, over over New Year's Eve, and someone called me and said, "Oh, did you hear that uh, Ra Ra Room, which was what it was called before? Did you hear Ra Ra Room had a stabbing?" I was like, "No," and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, they." Uh, I think I might have read about this. Yeah, yeah, no, they, I they, read about you. They're, they're probably going to lose their license. Mm. And I was like, oh, "Okay, great." So I I called the guy and I said, uh, "Hey, man, are you uh, you? I just New Year, new start, you know? Just thought I'd check in. Do you still not want to sell your nightclub?" And he goes, "Oh no, actually." Um, yeah, you know what? Funny enough, I've had a bit of a change of heart now, and I was like, "Oh, really? Great, great." And I was like, "This is, yeah. I've got got about a million pounds less now than I had, had last year." He's like, "No, no, don't worry, don't worry. I think there's a deal to be done." I thought, "Yeah, I'm sure there is." Now there's been a stabbing, yeah. um, and so again, it's sort of, sort of in a weird way, fortuitous that uh, that the opportunity came up like anything, um, and so yeah, um, eventually managed to sort of take it. And then by the time we'd gone through all the legals and done all the building work, I remember I think I was. 27 when we when we opened rain um and uh yeah which seems like such a long time ago was it four and a half five years ago and uh you know I was just generally so green I just had no idea how hard it was going to be at the time I obviously had a lot of clients and I was putting a lot of money into the businesses that I worked for and uh and I uh you know I was a waiter before I opened uh uh, the club that was kind of the level I'd got to which was it's not quite the right uh, description because they're essentially like glorified table bookers but they make a lot of money in, in tips and things like that and that was yeah. the most lucrative way I could work out to sort of make money from nightclubs and uh, I you know I would turn up to work I'd work 12 hours a week and I'd make a fortune and I'd spend all my time you know trying to plan how to open a nightclub and, and eventually uh, you know when it actually came about I thought we were going to open the door and there was going to be hundreds of people queuing around the corner for, for you know, for miles. And, and of course, what happened was we opened and had a great first weekend and then nobody cared anymore. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, okay, great. So the real kind of the real work had to start. Um, and uh, yeah, the uh, we, we just had to chip away at, at everything, constantly try and improve the club, tr- constantly trying to, to sort of like innovate. And honestly, the number one thing uh, was just try and get the best team possible working there. And that was really, really hard because um, 
any business, but specifically a nightclub or anything in hospitality, the team is everything. And it helps if the club's good and you've got some confetti and lasers and people have fun, but the team is absolutely everything. And so as a young kid still, I was trying to hire all these people and steal them from these other venues and no one was taking me seriously. And I just, you know, it was... Everyone is gunning for you to fail, of course, because they're all thinking, what a plonk, what, what on earth is he thinking? Mm. And, and, you know, we, we really had to, to work hard at it. I'd say we it took nine plus months to finesse what the product was. When, when I look back to what we first did, we had a whole section of the club was, uh, wasn't tables. It was all like a massive theatre stage. And, you know, now I think back to myself, like what a terrible use of real estate. Like all of that square footage is so mm. valuable in nightclubs. And, we were doing these terrible shows that came on every night and they would interrupt the flow of the night and you know you just you kind of have to work it all out and it's interesting because we're doing the same now with with taboo which is has, has just opened and yeah we're trying to finesse what is exactly the concept what's our usp here what's the thing that differentiates us from every other nightclub like i've never been interested in just opening a, a room with lights and some speakers <clears throat> and everything's flashing it's just what a boring way to spend four hours. The great thing with Rain is you go on this journey, you come in, there are shows, there's ambient performers, there's these bottle shows, there's like stuff that happens. Like every two minutes your your face is and your eyes are going somewhere else. You can't you can't keep up. It's like a level one hundred and then you know, when you go when I think back to what it was at the beginning, it was it was so terrible and <laughs> took us like so long to to get it right. Um I had a lot of a lot of sleepless nights um, for the first year and a half, I think, trying to work out what on earth I got myself into. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell I was going to get I went myself to my, out of it. Was, was it a cabaret club like a year ago when it was obviously mid COVID? Yeah, I went for my yeah. 25th birthday. Oh, right. Which yeah. was a year and two weeks ago now, whatever. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just remember it being so different because obviously, yeah, COVID must have been scary. COVID was, yeah. In the COVID, nightclub COVID industry. Was super hard, yeah. I, I foolishly. You're, there's a recurring theme here that most of the things is because I'm, I'm a plonker so I, I foolishly thought when it all got announced I was like oh three weeks we'll be back yeah yeah, yeah we'll be high-fiving they will never ever ever um, stop nightclubs blah 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 and actually of course it just went on and on and on mm. and on and uh, it was really testing yeah you know there were times when I thought um, that the industry was over that I thought that um, I, I thought that we were never going to have nightclubs again I thought I was I was a bit bitter because I thought God I've spent years and years trying to raise all this money and finally yeah. get a business up and running and it's working and finally you know it was just getting to the point where it's really starting to do really well and of course the whole thing comes crashing down and you know that hiatus as well you know I'm I'm 33 so I think I was 31 when the whole thing started and yeah Christ it's the, a long time ago now I felt like I was in the prime of my career or or just at the beginnings of the prime and so to have the whole thing the whole thing um, stop and then you know the hardest the hardest 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 thing which I can say now openly but was I was finding it mentally really difficult but we have a hundred plus staff at Rain so I had them reaching out every day oh what, when did you, you know but you know putting their worries and fears oh when's it going to open what do you think and I kind of yeah. had to be the strong one even if I didn't believe it don't worry everything's going to be okay just stay strong we got this let's all work together you know it's kind of going to come back stronger. And I would hear myself and then I'd get off the phone and I'd be like, fuck it now, why am I lying to these people? Like, mm. we're all fucked. What are we doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, the, it's the, 
the definition of it being lonely at the top is is one of the times some of the times you've got to be strong for everyone else even when you think you know we haven't got hope in hell so um yeah it's, it was it was not easy but oh as cliche as it sounds nothing you know e- the easy times don't make us stronger it's the hard times that test us and they yeah. make that that's what kind of calluses the mind and and gives us strength right so I'm hoping and you know touch wood that um we never have to face a time that's that difficult again but everything yeah, so every, well. every difficulty that comes now I feel like it's going to pale in comparison to to having 16 months of I mean honestly like when we opened as a as a cabaret bar you know like imagine opening just so you could staff can earn some money and then losing money every week yeah, the clients fact. all hating it it being terrible being told to sat down the music's not allowed to be loud no one's allowed to dance and all I'm thinking was dear god let me let the staff earn money I really you know that I, I know how desperate it's got for everyone at this point and uh, yeah it was it was soul destroying it really was but uh, there's that thing I just I, I kept telling myself in five years we're not sitting here and nightclubs don't exist that just isn't a thing yeah it's like we're not sitting here in five years all wearing face masks yeah you know that. standing two meters apart in a restaurant i just it just it didn't add up to me and you know thankfully we we were so lucky in this country because our government were were incredibly fast on the vaccine and have been quite liberal in the reopenings i mean right now still what, what we're in november of 2021 mm. only probably a 25 percent of the countries in the world have got nightclubs open so if, I, if there's oh, really, a me yeah. in another country right now, you know, that spent all his young adult life trying to raise money and opening his first business and all these different things, he's not allowed to work right now. And he's he's two years into this rather, mm. you know, I got to, we, we got going six months ago or, or nearabouts. So, you know, I mean, I to, to put some perspective into things, I feel incredibly lucky that we're actually able to open and work now. And I don't know what the future holds exactly, but uh, hopefully it's, it's not ever another 491 days, which is, is how long we were close Nobody's for. Nobody's counting. Yeah. I was bloody counting. <laughs> <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine. Abacus. You know, Christ. hopefully that never happens again. Yeah, definitely. Jeez. Yeah, so coming back to investors then, because... Just so the uh, everyone knows, there's a new glass of red wine now. In, in, in <laughs> well, yeah, this is like most people watch this on YouTube, to be fair, so they can see that I'm wine. a fucking podcast alcoholic, alcoholic. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. well, this is the thing because I, I last week I, I recorded like three episodes in a week and I was drinking every night because it's just become a habit now yeah, because no, of, I get it but then people only see it once a week so this I'm drinking once a week yeah That's no fine. as far as everyone else is concerned once a week yeah no red wine it's not it's, good if you do like seven episodes in a week yeah, <laughs> exactly it's meant to be healthy um but yeah coming back to the investor stuff because I mean again prior to recording this off camera that's what I'm now doing I'm starting to go down that route because the next venture having learned hard lessons with the previous ones that a don't want to do it myself i think it can be more fun doing it with other people obviously sometimes you need more money and leverage and i can imagine fucking need a lot more money to do something in central london but i guess two parts i want to go into that like firstly well firstly i guess it's bloody expensive to open a nightclub in london and secondly i would imagine then the people that you've met through being in that world did that help with obviously you know high net worth individuals etc etc access to certain people that you may not otherwise have Hmm. did that help with that process yeah it definitely helps if your network is is high net worth because you know when you get above a certain point 
you have so much spare capital mm. that you <clears throat> people actively want to invest. There's a lot of successful people that that they actively want to help the next generation. They want to do their bit, and, yeah. and I think that that's even me now. When people ask me for investment, I sometimes don't always think that the business has got the most legs, but I believe in the person, and that is almost more important than what they're doing because mm. it's like. I want to help this person out. Um, but I think that, it, yeah, no, it definitely helps. And I think it helps that it's a nightclub because there's a lot of like sparkly fairy dust that goes into a nightclub investment that you just don't get with any other investment. Um, you know, the you get to see, you know, your favorite athletes in the world. You get to see celebrities coming every night. You get to, uh, you know, you, you don't have to queue up yourself, which is always helpful. Yeah, And but- I think that people can get a real buzz about, you know, uh, owning... Um, you know, one of the, the, the coolest spots in a city that, that everyone wants to go to. And a lot of my clients have invested in other businesses uh, that do sort of similar things in, in America. And one of my clients is a, a huge, like multi, multi, multi-billionaire guy, VC, VC guy, what, like owns the most successful venture capitalist uh, firm in the world, almost ever. And when you ever talk to him, all he wants to talk to you about is his bar that he's invested in in LA. And it, it's mm. cool. It's like the massive celebrity hotspot in LA. And and it's, it's you know, super sought after. And it's always in the papers. And there's always all the basketball teams coming in and out, every big A-list movie star. And that for him, I'm sure, by the way, it doesn't like, I'm sure it doesn't make more, he can make so much money. And even in a whole year, he won't make as much money as he makes probably like in 10 minutes when he goes to the toilet you know like he's he's that level but the amount of joy and the excitement and that that thing that he gets you know to be a part of when he talks about it you know that's the rewarding part and that's sometimes where the real investment comes in is like how can you you know offer your investors you know value acquisition what what can you offer them that's more than just a return on their investment because yeah because honestly there's a lot of ways to make money and if you're rich and you're wealthy, you could just park your money in the stock market and make 10% a year pretty much. Like, But there's nothing exciting or fun, you know, like how, how can you add something to someone's to someone when they invest in you, you know, so that they're getting something more than just a return on their money? Um, yeah. Yeah, that would that would be the thing I would. But it's it's I think it's the one of the most important decisions you make. I've uh, I've been incredibly lucky Like my, my investing partners are not only like the nicest people in the world they're incredibly relaxed they're, they're, we've always had the, the same goal which is to create the best venues possible which means I haven't had someone looking over my shoulder going oh don't think you should don't think you should spend money on that because mm. that you know that's that's not that's not needed and I'm like yeah but you know, wouldn't, they, wouldn't these lasers be really cool and they're just like yeah it's gonna be great so that's helps that you know they're, they're like-minded and, and they've been incredibly supportive and and I think that um you know your investing partners business is like a marriage so when it's good it's great but when it's bad it's it's like a divorce and so you need to uh have people who are going to be with you through the hard times and 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 that's you know we just went through a pandemic and if i had investors calling me every day going i want my money back now where is it like you know and i uh, it, yeah. it can become a really scary space and and for me now um one of my investors is is, is like one of my best friends and one thing i love is that whenever I get on the phone and I ask him anything he just says yes he just not 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 asking him for money like oh this opportunity's come up do you think you know do you think we should do it and sometimes as an entrepreneur it's so nice to have someone along for the journey with you so like 
we, uh, you know, we, we're about to open a reign in Dubai. And I remember when That's the sick. sort of deal came to us and I, you know, the first thing as an entrepreneur, I'm thinking, gosh, have I got the time to do this? Can we make it successful? Do we want to, do we want something to fail in Dubai? You know, all these questions that you start to doubt yourself. And I think if it was just me by myself, that would cloud my mind more. But having partners that I can turn around to and say, this thing's coming from Dubai. This is the deal. Do you think we can do it? And then someone who, who just turns around and goes, yeah, let's do it. That's going to be amazing. Let's do it. And it kind of goes, gives you the confidence to have conviction in your in yourself, I suppose. And and all of a sudden you don't feel like you're fighting an uphill battle by yourself. I think, I think your partners and your investing partners or, or whatever... It's great to have 100% of the pie, but it's also incredibly difficult and lonely, you know? Yeah. Yeah, geez. I learned that on a, on a smaller scale. Because, um, yeah, geez, there's no point just... I, I guess when I was a bit younger, like you, th- you think, you start, start your first business, whatever you think, want to build this, make a load of money and sell it. But then it's like, well, as I've got a little bit older and I'm still young relatively, but... You realise that, yeah, fuck, if it's no fun, if the if the journey in the game is no fun, then really what's the point? Because there might be an end goal, mm. but A, that may never happen. And it probably won't happen the exact way you would like anyway, even yeah. if it does go well. But then it's like, fuck, it's just a bit... That's the kind of realisation I had probably because of COVID and stuff that happened, as maybe a lot of people did. It's like, fuck, if you're not doing it with people that you enjoy spending time with... A million percent. It's kind and, of pointless. And even now, that, so like now I have a, a lot of opportunities offered to me um, because of the success of the other stuff and the first thing I always think of is if I get into business with this guy I've got to spend at minimum a couple of hours a week with yeah. this person's presence and if someone if, if, can, it's not if you don't get with that person that's a long time in your life to spend I don't see most of my friends a couple of hours a month let alone yeah. a week so you you want to really pick who you're who you're in business with but um, it's interesting as well what, what you said because uh one of my favourite books is um, is Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight, the guy who owns Nike. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 I loved this book because I resonated so much with this his like ongoing struggle and he kind of had no idea and at any moment the whole thing could collapse. And like I said, the first year and a half of, of the club was was definitely echoed echoed a lot of that stuff. And um, he has this moment at the end of the book and he's, you know talking about his his life and at this point he's worth i don't know 10 billion like more more money than you would ever need mm. and he's doing some gardening in his like palm springs house and and someone asks like you know what does he miss and he just i i won't <clears throat> say it word for word but he he says that he misses the journey he misses the excitement the ups the downs the and he kind of describes it as like the journey of his life. And when you get to a certain point, which if you work hard enough and maybe you get a couple lucky rolls of the dice, you know, hopefully we'll all get to a certain point. So financially, that's not the thing that drives us anymore. It will be that journey that you look back at. And it is those ups, those downs, those hard times. There's something amazing about overcoming adversity. Yeah. You know, you've you've definitely discussed with me uh, some of the adversity you've had. But the adversity makes the win so much sweeter because you earned them right like you mm. you if someone gives you a million pounds tomorrow <clears throat> it'd be great but you won't really appreciate it but if you earn every pound of that million pounds the way you the way you feel like it's completely different the relationship yeah. you have with it and i think that that is that is something that counts for success as well and it, and especially when you have a a business or you might have many failed businesses and then finally have one that's successful but it's the 
you know, you, you didn't really fail. You just kind of learned along the way. You know, I've failed at hundreds of things many, many times over. I'm the guy, I'm really slow. It takes me like three times to learn the lesson. I'm like, should I try that again? So I'm yeah, like, no, yeah. Asher, you've already learned that's not a good idea. But, um, you know, these things they do, uh, you know, that you, you do learn from them. And that is the, that is the bit of the journey, I think. I love that journey. I really, I've, I love what I do. <clears throat> the money's the least exciting and least uh, fun thing for me. I love that every day I try to learn something new. I get to meet super, um, super inspiring people. And I'm always thinking like, wow, what I know now versus what I knew this time last year. And gosh, how much more can I learn before, before this point next year? And yeah, that's the, I, I, th- I guess that's the, the most, the most fun part. But if you have great partners or investing partners, yeah, what you can learn from them or the journey you can go on with them, you know, that's, that's stuff for the ages. That'll be the, the chapters and mm. the stories of your life, right? When you're 80, doing the gardening in your Palm Springs house. Yeah. You get to like look back and go, God, you, you Hampstead Heath, Bishop's Avenue pad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the UK one, version. Yeah. I think I'll try and move somewhere warmer. Palm, we'll go for yeah, Palm maybe. Springs. Yeah, Palm Springs. Yeah, it's so true. That's cool. And just lead off that point then, because you mentioned clients a few times. Um, and probably excuse my ignorance in, in the whole world of clubs other than just going to them and getting too pissed now and then. Um, where is the line between, you know, guests, as I suppose, and, and then clients? Like, is there an official line? I'm assuming it's how much they spend. And yeah, yeah I, I'm just interested so. in that. Like, mm-hmm. how, what's the difference, I suppose? And, and, and when did you start dealing with, you know, high net worth clients, whatever, and then I want to come on to the Amex story, which which I read about okay, yeah. the Amex entry and so on. Yeah. So like, yeah, well, yeah. Th- where's that line? And when when did you start dealing with those sort of people? So yeah, I think to, to make it very clear, a guest would be someone who comes in, pays their twenty pounds at the door, and drinks single drinks. Yeah. A client, I guess, is anyone who's taking a table, mm-hmm. which normally, typically, the minimum start with a thousand, two thousand, whatever, whatever it is on on various nights. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that would the person who buys a table for those numbers is normally, you know, in a, in a, on a different level in their own career to the person who comes and buys drinks at the bar. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, but it's, you know, it's also a gray area because over the years you become very good friends with a lot of your clients. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you kind of blur the line between, it's a very tricky one, you know, it's, you know, people coming in that you've known for 10 years and you're still making them pay full price for, for everything, you know, but unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's a business and it, it has, you know, we have massive overheads on each one of the businesses. So I think, you know, it's never, it's not too difficult a line to sort of like, you know, this is kind of the same rule for everyone, which is generally everyone just pays. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I think the trickier part is how you, how you don't blow the line too much that, when you become really close with someone, all of a sudden you, you stop charging them and then the business loses out because all of a sudden your your friend that was spending 10,000 a month is now wants to come in and hang out with you and drink for free on your table every night. You're like, oh, okay, well, we've kind of taken a backward step almost. Yeah. So, yeah, not, not ideal. Yeah, interesting. And then I guess, like, what's... <laughs> these are stupid questions, but what's the most ridiculous tab you've ever seen? Because I, I, I think that's what people watching will want to know. 
Yeah, sure. Maybe um, you can't say exactly, but... I obviously couldn't say who, but uh, recently we just had someone do uh, 150 grand uh, in one night, which was pretty ridiculous. Mm. But I think that... Um, I think he bought one bottle which was a hundred grand, a, a single bottle that was a hundred grand, which is is obviously very ridiculous. Um, but I think the more crazy question for, like the more crazy answer is that it's very rare that a week goes past without someone coming and spending somewhere between 30 and 50,000. So to give context, that's completely ridiculous numbers. Like they're just not normal numbers. Um, for anyone to be spending um, but there is this like level of of people where the, the, that amount of money isn't a very big amount of money and yeah. therefore they probably have jobs where they're incredibly stressed out or they travel off and that and, and we facilitate that that is where they get to blow off and let off steam but uh, yeah the the spending in London has has uh, gone up massively since I started when I was younger you could book a table for 500 pounds. 500 pounds doesn't even get you on the bar anymore. Like yeah, it's, no. it's just silliness. So the the average spend per head and it, and all of that kind of stuff is, uh, is just, is just massively different now. It's, it's gone up and there's so much more money in London than there ever was before. It's, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's a, gr- a great time for the industry, obviously, but, uh, no, it's a lot of money for sure. Yeah, definitely. I feel like if if you want to feel poor, I would say go, go, go to a central London nightclub and you can spend yeah. two grand on a table thinking you're balling, which is like, it, I like I've done a few times. And then, and then you see some Don coming out with Ace of Spades and yeah. spending, like you say, 30, 50 grand. Yeah, and, and no one ever orders an Ace of Spades as one bottle. Like, they always order it in fives or tens, which is... Yeah. But it is interesting because I'm so numb to it now, but uh, I get I get those shivers whenever I go... Uh, Hampstead Heath like you said and, and see some of those like ridiculous mega mansions or I live in Notting Hill and uh, I whenever I walk around Holland Park and every like, the cheapest house is 20 million quid I just yeah. I just think where on earth do these people get this money like there's one thing of like spending money in nightclubs but there's another thing of owning a you know 20-30 million pound house and I just think where do you where do you even begin because mm. this person doesn't just own one house right they must oh, own of course property yeah. all around the world and it's yeah it's, it, it is another level so in a weird way the nightclub you just get a glimpse into it and I can't yeah I don't know I've become very numb to it but uh, yeah take me on a nice road any day and I can start to get quite a start I always think someone spending like 50 grand in a club is like is either stupid or they've got way more money than the person buying a 20 million pound house because like relative to the thing yeah. it seems so insane yeah 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 it's no, just, it is yeah yeah, I guess there's levels to everything. Um, I want to come back to the Amex story. Yeah. So, so I read that in the early days you got your a lot of your black book from did, Amex yeah. Centurion. That's good. Some, good. some impressive research. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I um, yeah. I, I want to know how to get one of those cards in the future. Yeah, there's a card called an Amex Centurion, which is a black metal card, um, and you have to spend a certain amount of money to to be given one of these cards the the rumours and numbers change on it but I think a safe bet is that you probably have to spend half a million pounds on this card a year and to, to clarify this is not on houses this is not on business spending this is like on holidays on private jets on yeah. whatever you find however you want to rack up dinners however you want to rack up personal nightclubs yeah. yeah however you want to rack up your half a million pounds so you obviously you've got to have a lot of money to be to be even considered for one of these cards and they have their own uh, concierge service. And 
I'm like, I was hounding this woman for six months. Not even joking, six months. I was calling her and emailing her every day. Please, can we go for dinner? I'd like to take you for dinner. I'd like to tell you about these nightclubs in London. You know, just harassing this poor, this poor woman. And eventually she just gave in and she said, I've never had anyone like bug me so much. What do you want? And I was like, because I was always dealing with her sort of PA. Yeah. I said, please just let me take you for dinner. I'll, I'll take you for such a lovely dinner and I'll just tell you all about these nightclubs. And, and uh, she must have been hungry because she, she agreed to come for dinner with me. Yeah. And uh, it turned out, we got on like a house on fire and it turned out that she grew up like one village over from me near Brighton. And she gave me the, the contract for sort of all of Amex Centurion uh, requests for nightclubs in London. So mm. any per- anytime anyone would call me and say, oh, I, you know, can we, can we go to a, can we go to a nightclub? The, uh, the the request would come through me, um, and that helped me massively because uh, you know I just remember the first client they ever sent me. He came and spent like thirty grand, uh, and I like at the time that was just the biggest spend I had ever had. Yeah, you know, th- of a customer of mine, and I was so young, and it was just such, it was such a big deal. And then those calls just started happening like every couple of weeks. Oh, I've got another guy. I've got another guy. I've got another guy. And then, then those guys would all give my contact details to their friends. And it, it became, yeah, like in our industry, it became like anytime anyone had a black and Amex Centurion, they'd be like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what club they were in. They'd be like, oh, do you know Asher? And they're like, yeah, of course I know Asher. And I was like, oh, yeah. great. So yeah, I got to, um, it, that helped massively. But it, again, it was, it was manufactured because I was like, right, where can I find rich people? And I was like, right, well, there's Coots and there's Amex Centurion and there's a couple of these banks where you have to spend a certain amount to to even be considered. And I kind of attacked them, you know. I reverse engineered the way to meet these people, Mm. which was essentially... Very smart. ...harass a lovely lady from (laughs) from American Express. Yeah, exactly. Was this pre-reign then? This was, yeah, I think I was like 20... Three when this happened, yeah. This is just as I was moving out of promoting, and I was I could see the real money was in in clients, and I thought, right, how do I how do I do that? Because you have to start bringing clients mm. to these venues, so you can't. Yeah, you have to kind of prove yourself. And I had at that point, I had exactly zero clients, so I was like, how do I get to the point where I'm bringing tens of clients every week um, when currently I know zero people with more than ten pounds to their name? <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay this is gonna have to reverse engineer yeah so i guess your industry exposes you to like often you know effectively 0.001 of people which which i imagine has yeah just just massively eye-opening i suppose so obviously a lot of rich people but i would imagine as well a lot of celebrities which Mm. i guess genuinely rich as well not necessarily as rich as a lot of the anonymous people but I guess like two-part question. You probably can't answer like many of who's coming through, but like when celebrities come through, are they always, would they ever come just like unannounced? Or is it always like texting you, like the whole team's involved, entourage, all that shit? So it really depends. I feel like uh, some celebrities are super last minute. So it would just be like spur of the moment, you know, so like... uh, I feel like I can say names if if it was if they got drunk enough that they didn't care that people were taking photos. So like, yeah. you know, so so like Lewis Capaldi who was in on Tuesday night. Obviously, like that booking was made an hour before we opened. Same with David Guetta a couple of weeks before. Oh, I saw um, that picture. But then, uh, 
when when's the next most recent guy oh uh Usain Bolt was in like three weeks ago and oh, we sure. knew he was coming in almost like four days before he came in so he'd like clearly planned yo I'm gonna be in London on <clears throat> Thursday night make sure you know I've got a I've got a space so you you uh, you know uh, you mentioned Drake when we were just off off the podcast you know you know when he's in town obviously doing a concert or promoting mm. an album or something and you know when he's going to be in town he's going to his people are going to reach out at some point because he likes to go out you know multiple nights into multiple venues and things and so it it really differs on on who it is sometimes athletes they'll specifically plan in advance because they'll have games or they'll have you know things happening that, yeah. that link to why they're in London that weekend or, or whatever it happens to be so it, it really depends on, on everyone sometimes you'll get actors um, rapping films and things like uh, when Michael Bay came when they were doing one of the Transformers movies he booked like two weeks in advance because he was like we're finishing our shoot on this day and I want to come down with the whole cast so <clears throat> obviously things like that you know about but that's kind of the fun of it you never know when someone's gonna turn up we had recently um i, I don't i won't say who because it would be embarrassing but we had uh when was it this tuesday so two nights ago we had like half of the this uh, very very top premier league team turn up but they turned up too late and we were already sold out we didn't have a table for them so oh, really like, you know sometimes also not ideal because yeah you know if you don't also let us know um the what the situation is then obviously we, we we don't it's always better if you know in advance for obvious reasons but you know <clears throat> celebrities specifically they they can also be flaky sometimes you'll have something booked in for ages and then um you know last minute they just decide they're tired they don't want to go out and it's fair enough you know they've had a long day <laughs> like there's there's no yeah. way to know people are always asking me oh what night will there be a celebrity and like i have to tell you i have no idea honestly it, it's like you know you you almost you'll pretty much find out an hour after I will because <laughs> they'll text me and they'll they'll be in and then they're gone as as quickly as they came so uh, and and it's Soz Law if you know someone's coming and then you tell even one person oh that you know that person mm. that you're a massive fan of they're coming in next week that will always be the night that they'd go oh, actually I'm quite tired I think I'm going to have a night in so yeah it's uh, yeah definitely yeah, ever changing I suppose is there ever like competition from clubs well I guess like in general but like to get someone like if Drake's in town which I guess isn't that often like someone of that sort of level yeah no, is there like yeah. do clubs ever incentivize celebrities of like that stature to come in or is it, is it not work like that um I don't know if the word would be incentivize I think or I guess that, just like competition in general I think I think there's yeah I think there's just generally a lot of competition between the venues in London mm. I think Covid has made us all realise how silly we were because actually <clears throat> it's great when all the venues are doing well and there's enough bread for everyone to eat London has an amazing nightlife scene and that's partly down to the, the operators and the business owners and, and partly because we have such small spaces we have to be quite creative with what we do but um <clears throat> if all these nightclubs close and, and the scene becomes dead, you know, we would all die. You know, mm. you go to Vegas because there's 10 of the best nightclubs in the world all in one place. Yeah. So there's a lot of competition, but I'm hoping that now, now COVID is, has, has kind of realized, made it, made everyone realize that we're all in the same boat. Hopefully, um, you know, we will support each other a bit more. You know, it's a very small niche group of us that do this. And, uh, and I really do think there's, 
you know London is is like a money money pit uh, not money pit what's the word like a like a never ending uh, influx of, of money so I think if you're just good at what you do the, the businesses will survive and the cream will always rise to the top right so now there's less nightclubs than there were but at one point there was like 20 plus nightclubs all vying for the same ultra high net worth business and it was it was just silly so of course there's always competition yeah always 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 clients celebrities staff from each other uh, promoters you know they're a hot yeah. ticket but um, <clears throat> yeah generally the the cream will always rise to the top yeah yeah definitely I guess it's probably the same with a lot of industries like someone's doing some more go out do them etc etc mm, absolutely yeah and then another question someone told me to ask actually is because I've always wondered this I, spe- I suppose how does a club is there like a set rule of like how a club particularly in London decides who can and can't get in now, obviously if you're a client spending big money on the table generally speaking you, you can get in if, if there's space yeah but in terms of like your average punter trying to get into clubs is it is it is it just girls in London that get in like officially or is that just the, the no, perception I think that's a perception it's a great question by the way because it's um, I feel like it's a question no one wants to ask but everyone wants to know the answer yeah to. I suppose so yeah listen look the simple answer is you want nice people coming into your venue and a lot of people come and they're already drunk or they, they're like dressed like they just left the gym and things like that yeah. and then they're genuinely really surprised when they can't get in um, and I think the simplest way is, you know, we charge a minimum spend on our tables. And as we've mentioned multiple times, it's a venue for celebrities and ultra high net worth individuals. And so you need to make sure that the room is is nicely balanced and that you have nice people in there. You can't let in a group of guys who look like they might start a fight, you know, because it's just not yeah. fair on the other guests. You can't let You can't let in a group of girls who look like, you know, they've already been on the Bacardi Breezer and if they're going to have three more drinks, they're going to be puking outside. It's just, Mm -hmm. you can't charge a premium without having a premium sort of clientele around, around everybody. So, you know, like I, I personally think the, our ethos is that you let everyone in unless you give us a reason not to let you in. And often people will sort of like exclude themselves relatively quickly because, you know, you'll have a girl coming to the front door wearing like sandals and it's just like, well, why on earth would you wear sandals to like a luxury nightclub? Um, yeah, you know, true. or you'll have, you'll have like, you know, a group of guys turn up wearing like, you know, tracksuit bottoms and, and trainers and, and like a hoodie. And as you think, well, you just, you just, it's not fair that one guy is spending, you know, X amount of money on one table and then he would be next to some guys who look like they just left the gym. It just isn't, it just doesn't make sense. And, uh, and you know, so, uh, you know, we, there's, there is everyone. And I mean, everyone, like we've had like, you know, I've, we have had like some people come in and celebrate their 80th birthday. You know, it it really is massively diverse, but, um, you know, we want to also protect the venue and protect, you know, so anyone who looks like they've, they're too drunk anyone who has like not dressed correctly anyone who looks like they might not be safe they find it very difficult to get in and that is actually how you keep a venue exclusive if you let anyone in there's a lot of people actually that can afford to come to these nightclubs more than you could ever imagine doesn't necessarily mean they're the right people to come in If, if if you've got a group of guys who genuinely look like drug dealers they probably don't belong in your venue can they afford your venue i'm sure they bloody can but it doesn't mean they're the right people to come in so you've got to you know you've got to keep the 
the door I guess that's why everyone you know thinks oh it's, it's so exclusive so difficult to get into and you know if you open if you if you look at our, our venue on a Friday or Saturday night there's 400 people queuing up right yeah. to, to get in uh, and it's always nice to, to know someone or have someone but you know ultimately everyone's welcome but just no, the, no, you know, you're not turning up to the cinema. You've got to dress appropriately and you've got to behave appropriately. That's pretty much the rules. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, always feels good when you can somehow, like you say, know someone or whatever. And it just always helps. Yeah, go past the queue. The flip flops will make an exception for you. <laughs> yeah. if you want to roll up with the slops? No, exactly. This is smart for me for a podcast. To be fair, <laughs> now that's interesting. Um, one thing I want to get onto then is, I guess probably myself included maybe a, a misconception about you know promoters nightclub owners whatever whatever and you've definitely changed that failing misconception of myself just in this conversation um but like how does a day-to-day sort of monday to friday then look for for you because yeah. obviously as well i want to get on to the you've got this egg run as well you mm-hmm. launched yeah i think last year mm-hmm which is obviously very different business, similar, but very different yeah, time totally of day. Yeah, totally clientele and target market and business model and everything, yeah. Yeah, so, so how does like a, well, I guess Monday to Sunday, I can imagine it's pretty much seven days a week. To it some is, extent. yeah. And how, I, how does that look I for feel you? Like, yeah, it's, I'll be honest, it's, uh, it's full on. Mm. So it's like, I would, you know, most days, um, I'm in meetings from like 10 and those meetings normally run to like eight or 9 p.m. And then uh, I'll, quickly go for like a dinner if I'm with clients I'll kind of go out for dinner first if not I'll, I'll go home and have dinner at home and then come back in and then obviously you're out in the venues four or five nights a week uh, you know until three four in the morning yeah. because so much of it is client facing and so much of it is is managing a team and, and you know being there so unfortunately the answer is that you, you do a lot of hours and in a weird way you're almost working two jobs because you have your daytime head where you're having meetings you're doing financing you know you're you're planning for the night and you have a whole different team who who plan for the night and then you, you know you have the night time which I suppose is the the fun bit but actually mm. can be incredibly stressful you know if you you know there's a hundred different things that can go wrong uh, in a nightclub at night and the most common one is just being overbooked you know how do you balance all these clients that are booked into your venue that you physically can't fit through the door you know how, how do you how do you work that out um and so yeah, the the I'd say the it is incredibly full on, uh, but I would imagine most people who own a business uh, work similar hours. You know, it's there. It becomes it becomes what you eat, sleep, and breathe. Yeah. Um. And and yet you don't you don't ever really get much time off because you know you're you become so passionate and so engulfed in making this thing the best thing it can be. Um. I saw this amazing documentary recently about this this kid who was like he started uh, dealing drugs online. Oh, I saw that he, shiny yeah, face. Yeah, and and yeah, he was like so doing it all through the postal system mm. and stuff. And he got to the point where he's trying to fulfil thousands of orders yeah. a day. And in a weird way, I can relate. Not not with the drug dealing part, sadly, but um, yeah. you know, you you just start you just start putting it putting that thing in front of everything and you just start working every hour of the day because you just want it to be the best thing it can be and then there has to be a point uh which i'm definitely at at the moment which is you've got to try and find more balance because it's actually not healthy you know to just work all hours every hour mm. how can you find just time to spend time with your loved ones with your family how can you find time to get some exercise in how can you find time to switch off 
read a book, listen to a podcast? Like, what, what can you do to, to create balance? Because definitely with nightclubs, because it's day and night, but I would imagine with a lot of business owners, you know, it can become all-consuming and that's not a very healthy place to be. And actually, you won't get much out of yourself because you're, you're essentially half asleep most of the time. Yeah. I would say most of the time I'm half of the sleep. You know? like, That's why I was having a coffee at 10 p.m. Yeah, before we yeah, started yeah. this. We do, yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. 10 p.m. coffee, which says everything, doesn't it? Yeah, um, but But a typical day is, is, is mostly uh, meetings Monday to Friday during the day and then at least sort of four or five days a week uh, I'm out in the venue uh, until late. And then even if, you're, even if you're not, you know, you're at home and your body clock is already late. Uh, and so the re- the only day I, I really get off is is a sort of Sunday because I'll have um, you know we'll finish at four five six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and then I'll wake up and I'll have half a day where I won't go out on a Sunday night and I I won't have any meetings on Sunday and yeah j- depending on the time of the year I'll either go for like a roast dinner or you know spend time with my girlfriend so you know kind of yeah, reset geez. yeah reset on everything it is intense so four or five nights a week in venues are you I'm assuming you're not drinking every night or, or yeah I almost never drink actually yeah yeah which again is another misconception right like yeah no it is that's why I ask really like doing all the drugs and, and all the drinking and stuff but actually no they're, they're serious businesses with, with massive a massive amount of money on the table and so yeah you're, you're very rarely catch me drinking and a lot of the time if I'm if I am drinking it'll be like sort of like pretend drinking so, uh, you know, it looks, it might look like I'm drinking, but those guys are really good at giving everyone a tequila shot and I'll take an apple juice and, you know, swig it. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> and oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, you have to play the game a little bit sometimes. But, uh, you know, listen, I, I absolutely will have some, you know, one or two shots here and there and have a drink if someone I really like is in town. But, yeah, you can't be drinking four or five nights a week and expect to run you know a business of that size with that 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 turns over that much money and that, that has that many employees it's just it's just impossible you just mm. burn out so you know the the hours enough uh, the, sorry the hours alone are enough to burn you out and if you if you're drinking on top of that you're just it's just a downward spiral you'd last six months and then you'd you'd be in the ground you'd be done yeah so which is why I've been sipping on this water. Yeah, not Christ. Well, to be fair, yeah, I, I probably try and drink once. Well, it probably was once a week prior to the podcast. Now maybe it's twice a week. Yeah, my podcasting is used to drink, drink red, red wine, and ask invasive questions to my unexpected guests. Um, <laughs> one thing we were speaking about then previously, which was, I guess was technically recorded, but wasn't in the right time, so I'll ask it again. Um, and. I was saying I, I can relate in an entrepreneurial sense, but it, it sounds like you definitely work more hours than I do. And I guess just by default, you're out a lot more, et cetera, et cetera. How has that affected your personal relationships, I guess, particularly with girlfriend that you mentioned? And mm. you know, is that sustainable? Do you think just about finding the right type of person? I think it's a combination sort of, of uh, definitely finding the right kind of person. You need not just nightclubs but any career you you embark on you you need to find someone who supports you uh and understands whatever you're trying to achieve uh in a business sense or or maybe Mm. you're trying to achieve stuff in a business sense to lead to kind of like personal um security whatever it happens to be you definitely need someone who is there who can like lift you up if you're an entrepreneur who can like uh kind of coax you when you're down and, and and like trying to sort of tell you everything's going to be okay hugely 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 important I think probably one of the most 
most important things is, is having someone who shares your goals and your dreams and understands why you're putting yourself through all of these crazy hours. Yeah. And then, you know, the second part is, is, uh, is finding balance. Yeah. You know, trying to find the time where you can switch your phone off, trying to find the time where, you know, you can, you can spend like a, a set allotted amount of time with each other and, and trying not to work 24 seven all day, every day and kind of reinforcing that, that that they are the person or that they are one of the major contributing factors to why you're trying to achieve the things that you're trying to achieve. So yeah, I think it, it's super important. Um, obviously if you're, I'd say it's probably in some ways easier if you're, if you're single because, uh, you know, then you, you can, you know, it's only you that you're having to apologize to, but it can also then end up being quite, quite empty if you do achieve what, the things you want to achieve mm. and you've got you've got no one to share it with yeah very true did you meet your girlfriend in a nightclub <laughs> uh, I, I funny enough I met her outside a nightclub many 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 years before we were together and I thought um, she looked so cute and there was a really big queue and I thought like there's no way this girl should be queuing so I I said you know I tried to pull the card it was way before I, I owned a nightclub so I pull the car I was like hi do you want me to get you in what, what a douchebag honestly but hi yeah. do you want me to get you in so she came in and I, I was you know trying, trying to be nice and then I sort of ran into her years and years later but that was at least the icebreaker that we had at least sort yeah. of met one time before um, so yes I, I technically met her in a nightclub but uh, but no thankfully and also it, you know it helps my girlfriend is not a party girl she's like the exact opposite of my lifestyle which is oh, really completely like you know if I if I was with someone who was out every night and partying and loved it yeah it would actually be a it would be a nightmare yeah because true. it's the fact that she is um you know she would prefer to stay at home and snuggle in front of the fire and watch a movie which is actually perfect it's the perfect balance to my ridiculously crazy lifestyle um but that's actually exactly what exactly what I need and uh, yeah too much nightclub is never a good thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah definitely Um, I guess final broad question before we wrap up Um, kind of leading on from that is I know you've just opened Taboo I think it was literally last week was it Mm -hmm. Um, what's the goal really I suppose for all your venues and kind of you personally like is there a you know a longer term goal or in in general way where, where are you trying to take it all yeah i think the 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 sort of short answer would be i think we can have um a pretty substantial hospitality group within london and and internationally where we offer multiple different venues to our clients so the idea is eventually i guess you know they can eat lunch with us they can have dinner with us. They can party in our in our nightclubs. Uh, they can eat in multiple ones of our restaurants, and, and maybe one day they can sleep on our pillows. You know, so we create this like mm. all-encompassing ecosystem for all the clients that we know. Um, I suppose, in a bit of a way, like if you look at some case studies, if you look at the Tao Group uh, in America, what they've done, or yeah. Dave Grutman with with Live mm-hmm. and Story and, and Groot Hospitality and things. You know, there's. Richie Akivia sort of did it with with One Oak uh, things. You know, we th- we think we can get to the size where we're not 
greedy and want to take every every corner but we can have a nice diverse portfolio of businesses that our clients can enjoy and come to us you know in multiple different ways not just not just nightclubs yeah and i guess in, in the e-commerce space and certainly something i speak about with my mates a lot is you know i feel like the holy grail like winning the champions league in, in my mind entrepreneurial is like building a business to sell uh, like an exit yeah, yeah. is that something you strive for is it more yeah no it's definitely that's it's enjoyable? definitely something that's part of the conversation i mean with egg run specifically it's mm. definitely it's definitely with an exit in mind yeah because if we can grow that to 10 even 15 sites you know the the multiples on the ebitda can be really you know amazing for 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 businesses in the grab and go space but obviously such a different model yeah. to, to nightclubs um but i think that there's you know look everyone wants to have a, a boat and like spend their some like winter in the Bahamas right so yeah, we can always we can always dream so I think you know to take it one step at a time right now we're just committed to, to opening each business one at a time you know we've got some uh, we've got a rooftop uh, and a restaurant opening next year um, another sort of lounge bar venue so you know we're we're got loads of things on the horizon that's going to keep us really busy and in the short term, it's just let's open these venues, make them the best that they can be and make them as successful as they can be. And then if at some point in the next five, seven, eight, ten years, we're looking at a massive portfolio of businesses and there's an option to, to exit, then of course that's great and we can have those conversations. But it's definitely not what drives us. Mm. Then you can go spend a hundred grand in rain on a bottle. And there'll be there'll be someone cooler than me opening a new nightclub, and yeah. I'll be standing outside in line begging for a table. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They tell me a hundred grand. Yeah. I guess well, technically one more question then, which I've asked a few people. It's so cliche, but it's quite interesting. If you could speak to your, I guess, well, fucking eighteen-year-old self, then getting into question, the space, yeah. and it's a really cringy bullshit question, but it's also valuable. What would you say to yourself, obviously 15 years since that point? Oh, it's, it's a, I think about this all the time, by the way. And Reflecting. I th- yeah, I think I would tell myself, I think I would reassure myself that if you just do, if you just go through things and keep your integrity and keep your morals and just try and conduct yourself with... I don't know, just be nice to people. It will get you so far because, Hmm. you know, you don't have to be a bully. You don't have to be an aggressive dictator. You don't have to be a horrible person to be successful in business. You can just be nice and people will fight for you, if that makes sense. And then I I suppose the other thing, which kind of sort of links, is that, you know, I would just reiterate to myself, I, I, I know it now, but I definitely didn't know it then, the most important thing you can do is just surround yourself with amazing people who all want the same thing. I, I am, I get to be the, the front man, I suppose, and I get to, you know, shake people's hands and high five them and take all the applause. But none of it happens if there's not an army of people who are all working for, for me or for the group and who are all amazing at what they do. You know, like we have, graphic designers that I could never in a million years do what they do we Mm. I have you know we have I have an accountant who does things with numbers that blows my mind you know I have an ops director that works more hours than me would you believe and and the things he does like it's just it's all the unglamorous stuff you know we have 
some personalities and some some members of staff, you know, on the floor, like you know, some of our waiting team, or, and they're so unbelievably great at being host to people. They take what I started to the next level, and it gets to the point like all these people are so incredible at what they do that in a weird way yeah you get to 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 take all the 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 glory but they take what you started and they make it even more brilliant and uh, Mm. i i wish i i don't know if i wish i knew i've I've enjoyed figuring it out but it would definitely be something you know slap myself listen these people are they're more important than anything more important than your ego more important than uh you know all the mistakes you're going to make these people are the people who make you successful they're the people who you know keep them close treat them well they they go to war for you now they they'll bleed for you yeah getting dark now aren't we? <laughs> no it's good it's good getting deep <laughs> yeah no it's, it's it's advice I'm, I'm i'm listening to you as well definitely um yeah. you can only do so much as a person there's only 24 hours in a day then the 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 thing that all the most successful people do is they they surround themselves with people who are brilliant at what they do and you know almost build that team you know that's the biggest talent of an entrepreneur is how do you you know align yourself with people who who want to fight for what you want to fight for yeah definitely good advice jeez and on that note because i know you're, you're going out to one of your venues funnily enough no surprise um, <laughs> yeah I, I guess we'll wrap it up but that's been super interesting because like I said at the start it's probably the first entrepreneurial conversation in this pod that isn't to do with you know e-com digital marketing C- certainly a market I just an industry I just don't know so I've learned mm-hmm. a lot um, probably smashed a lot of my preconceived stereotypes as well yeah. to be honest yeah. um, it's, a, it's a tricky one isn't it because the industry is so yeah has, people have a real view of they they see it as dirty mm. or I'm not sure I'm not sure what but it it definitely is up, outdated you know yeah definitely super interesting um yeah and I guess I'm keen to see where you take it I, I love to get get back in rain when I'm in a slightly better spot in a few months time we maybe. do have um, one hundred thousand pound table left this weekend if you, if you yeah <laughs> no maybe 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 next year maybe I've got a few mates <laughs> who can pull together a few strings um but no uh, cheers for listening um YouTube Spotify Apple Music as usual um. I guess I've not said previous episodes, but yeah, just fucking recommend this to mates if you're enjoying it. Because I get surprising amount of DMs to be fair recently saying how much people are liking the pod, which does motivate me to do these and force people like Asher to come on against their will, probably to an extent. But um, yeah, um, subscribe to the pod, share it around. Appreciate you watching, listening, wherever you are, and we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers.